All right. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, so there are two related but distinct enough topics I want to touch on tonight. And each one will um, involve a sort of medium length meditation. Um, so they're ultimately connected and I hope that connection is clear by the end, but they're different enough where I wanna focus on one thing and then focus on another. Um, actually, before, before I get into that though, I wanna um, just remind everyone that there's a mini retreat, afternoon retreat this weekend from one to 5.30 PM Eastern time. Um, and it doesn't look like a bunch of people are signing up for the in-person. So if anyone wants to come for just a sitting or two, please don't worry about taking a slot if you, you know, don't feel like you have to come for the whole afternoon. Um, and also I should say um, that we have doors on opposite sides of this space, which are both open during class and will be open during the retreat. And it's a really nice cross breeze. It means there'll be more ambient noise than it ordinarily would be. But in case anyone's anxious about being in a space like this, even with masks on, just want you to know that there's pretty good cross ventilation. It's also just a, it's just a beautiful spot. So anyway, um, uh, look forward to Saturday with whoever wants to show up. And if you wanna show up for an online sitting for just a bit, please do. Um, okay, so um, the first topic I wanna to touch on is the breath. Um, and the nature of the breath. And just a reminder that the breath is something that moves and flows, is ultimately an ever-moving dynamic force. Um, and in a way, uh, I think you might be wondering like, of course, and what, why would we need a reminder about this? But um, speaking from my own experience and the experience of many people, who I've talked to about meditation, including in this space here, um, I think uh, tuning into the flow-like quality of the breath is actually surprisingly challenging. Um, when we set up the intention to meditate and to follow the breath, it's very common for that intention to express itself in a kind of um, tight focus on the breath so that the breath actually can tighten up in the course of meditation rather than become softer and more open. Um, it's as if what, it, what we take to be awareness is like a kind of fixing the gaze or grasping something with the mind rather than letting it be in its own nature. Um, and some things are by nature more solid than others, but the breath is definitely not solid at all. Um, so to be even more concrete, I think, um, and this is actually often the instruction that are given to people when they begin to meditate, one is told to focus the awareness on a particular spot in the body, uh, like the center of the chest or the belly or the tip of the nose, and to feel the changing sensations of the breath in that spot. But I think what happens is that instead of feeling the changing sensations, we fixate on the spot. Um, and the spot can actually start to feel a little tight, you know, so you bring awareness to the center of the chest or the belly, and the awareness itself has the effect of creating a bit of a constriction, um, as if we're holding tight the spot, 
as a place where we want some kind of stability, rather than giving ourselves over to the breath, which is all movement. Um, I think people who've experienced a lot of, have a lot of experience with meditation, I think are probably familiar with both of these experiences, both the experience of the tightening up of awareness as we focus on the breath in a certain way, and then feeling our way or discovering by chance what it is to actually be with the breath, but not be holding onto the breath. It's like in this kind of domain, we have nothing better than metaphors really to go by. And, um, there's no precise way to describe what I'm talking about, but I think people can hopefully feel their way into the kind of metaphors I'm choosing and just um, connect it to their own experience. Maybe it's not the right words for your experience and the words are not what's important. Um, <clears throat> so before we um, do a little meditation that's, that's designed to, I think, just serve as a reminder about this flow-like quality of the breath, I wanna read a few, maybe just two paragraphs actually from um, a chapter in John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living, which is um, I think a really solid introduction to meditation practice. It's a textbook that Kabat-Zinn created for his uh, program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR. And um, Kabat-Zinn was a Zen practitioner who was also a doctor and wanted to create a secular, um, non-spiritual version of meditation that could be used for people who are experiencing chronic pain or debilitating stress or um, other serious conditions that maybe medication could not help, but meditation might. So um, this is from chapter three. It's called The Power of Breathing, Your Unsuspected Ally in the Healing Process. I'm just going to read the first two chapters, uh, first two paragraphs. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Poets and scientists alike are aware that our organism pulsates with the rhythms of, the, of its ancestry. Rhythm and pulsation are intrinsic to all life, from the beating of bacterial cilia to the alternating cycles of photosynthesis and respiration in plants to the circadian rhythms of our own body and its biochemistry. These rhythms of the living world are embedded within the larger rhythms of the planet itself, the ebb and flow of the tides, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen cycles of the biosphere, the cycles of night and day, the seasons. Our very bodies are joined with the planet in a continual rhythmic exchange as matter and energy flow back and forth between our bodies and what we call the environment. Someone once calculated that on average, every seven years, all the atoms in our body have come and gone, replaced by others from outside us. This in itself is interesting to think about. What am I if little of the substance of my body is the same in any decade of my life? One way this exchange of matter and energy happens is through breathing. With each breath, we exchange carbon dioxide molecules from inside our bodies for oxygen molecules from the surrounding air. Waste disposal with each outbreath, renewal with each in-breath. 
If this process is interrupted for more than a few minutes, the brain becomes starved for oxygen and undergoes irreversible damage. And of course, without the breath, we die. So in my own experience with meditation, I have noticed an incorrigible desire that's not conscious to control the breath, to not let the breath flow at its own rhythm, to not in a way honor, um, go with, follow the natural rhythm of the breath itself. So, and when I, there have been periods of time where I've returned to the breath, but what this actually meant in practice is returning to a spot in the body, which I hold to, like the, like the tip of the nose or my belly or something. Um, and as if like I could just hold that spot and that would cultivate the concentration or the awareness I'm looking for. When actually what the breath is asking for is that we somehow give ourselves over to its flow, its rhythm. And that's why I read this piece because I think it beautifully connects the rhythms of our body with the rhythms of nature and the, the universe as a whole. Everything is pulsing. And our breath is the place, the way that we can connect with that larger rhythm. Um, so what, but I think the thing is like, it's not so easy to just let go of the desire to control. I mean, if it were, we would do it, right? There must be some deep tendency in us that wants to have some kind of grip, whatever it may be, right? Wants something stable to stand on, whatever the right metaphor is for you. Because to give ourselves over to the flow is to give ourselves over to something that is constantly changing, never still. So um, in this next shortish meditation, I'd like us just to do the most simple basic meditation practice, follow the breath. Um, but I'd like, if you feel like you're following the breath in a way that just works for you, stick with it. You know, so don't, don't worry. So just spend this next period just following the breath in whatever way works for you. But if you can resonate at all with what I'm saying about this kind of tendency you notice to control the breath. And I've actually noticed, especially with people who come to meditation from yoga, because yoga actually trains people to, to synchronize a controlled breath with the movements of the body. And they have a hard time actually with the simple instruction to let the breath come and go at its own rhythms because uh, they actually have so little experience with it. And I think the, the honest truth is very few of us, once we age out of babydom, have any experience with it. Once whatever happens to us in babydom that like convinces us that we need to like watch out and protect ourselves, you know, have some kind of armoring. It's like that natural flow of the breath becomes incredibly rare in most humans' lives. And so it's something that actually has to be sought out. It may be natural, but that doesn't mean that we are in touch with it. Um, so, um, <clears throat> so, so instead of following the breath in the nose or just the chest or the belly for this next period, I encourage you to follow it just in a soft way in the whole torso, the chest and the belly and to feel, as it were, the shape of the breath, the way the breath moves the chest 
chest and the belly and all the parts of the torso as a whole as you breathe in and out. Notice which parts of the ribcage expand, which parts don't. Which parts of the abdomen expand, which ones don't. And if you notice a tendency to tighten, to exert some kind of control, and don't be surprised if that happens, then just watch that. You can't get rid of it just by telling it to go away. That's just using the ego against the ego, but rather bring a soft awareness to the desire to control. And then that's all that you can do. And then see if you can sense along with that, some of what the breath's natural movements might be, which might be cramped, crabby, right? It might be awkward because frankly, part of you is exerting a bit of tightness and that's not gonna go away. But if you just let the controlling impulse be there, watch it, you may experience moments where it can soften a bit or even completely. And then there's just the breath. So can we return to the breath as a flowing process rather than as something to fix our attention on? That's really, I think, the invitation of this brief practice. Okay. So please assume a comfortable meditation posture. Maybe take one or two deep breaths just to help the spine align. Visualize the head floating up to the ceiling, or you might visualize a string from the bottom of your spine all the way up to the top of your head, pulling you up to the ceiling as you breathe in, just letting the spine find its natural alignment. And as you exhale, just let everything relax. And then just let the breath find its own rhythm. And let your awareness settle on the shape of the breath, the flow of the breath in your chest and your belly. And if you feel that the breath is not flowing freely, that there's a something, whatever it may be, that's exerting some tightness or control over the breath, just feel what that control or tightness feels like in the body. And then see if you can be aware also of whatever movements, even if they are cramped of the breath, because it's always moving to some degree.
And every time your awareness is pulled away from the breath, gently and in a relaxed manner, return to the breath as flow rather than as a particular spot that you're trying to focus on. Honor its flow like rhythmic nature. For most of us, this experience will be some combination of experience of tension and control and movement, dynamism. Let your awareness be soft and wide enough. You can hold both the flow or movement of the breath along with those parts of your experience of the breath that feel tight or constricted. There's room to have both at the same time. If you're feeling any tension, see if you also notice any aversion to the tension. Often when we experience the discomfort of tension, we compound it with aversion, tightening up around that tension, creating even more tension through the very desire to be rid of it. Notice that tendency and see if you can just watch it instead of identify with it.
But the key reminder is to keep returning to the parts of the breath that are moving. Breath has movement. If you notice tension, notice it, but don't get lost in it. Don't get obsessed with it. Return to those elements, components of the breath that are continuing to move.
Okay, it's good for the first sitting. Um, any um, questions or just comments about this first practice, this first little bit? If anyone wants to say anything, please do. Okay, so um, the second thing that I want to talk about tonight is the connection between what I've been talking about the last few weeks, working with aversion and attachment, our likes and dislikes. The connection between that and the deeper, broader goal of Zen or Buddhist practice, which is um, understanding the true nature of the self, its um, its emptiness, its insubstantiality, um, becoming free of the grip of our small ego, our small self, and um, it's nice to have bells. Um, so. And the only thing I want to say about that really, hold on, I'll pause. The bell of mindfulness, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say. <laughs> also, the fogging of the glasses with the mask. <laughs> Many things to practice with. <laughs> okay, so, um, it's really a, a small point, but actually I think it's, it's, it's an important one. Um, I think it's, it would be really easy, I think, to listen to what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but noticing your version, noticing your attachment, noticing how much you like and dislike, how much you exercise judgment all the time, and think that somehow um, the point of looking at all that is to become someone who is free, that it would be a good thing to be someone who is free of attachment aversion, likes and dislikes. Um, and in a way, I think that wouldn't be wrong, but I think it, would, it can easily be misunderstood into, into another kind, it kind of distorted into another kind of project for the self. As if what we're striving to be is a self that is somehow pure, you know, that doesn't have these kinds of problems, the stickiness of attachment and aversion. Um, and I think that some of the language used in the Buddhist sutras can, I think, especially for Western ears, really um, invite this kind of misunderstanding because in the ancient Buddhist texts, attachment, aversion, hatred, greed, anger, all these are called defilements. Um, and I think it's really, um, you know, tempting to sort of very quickly assimilate that idea of defilements or of working with attachment and aversion into like a 
basically a Christian or um, at least, you know, Judeo-Christian moralistic framework as if what we're trying to do is purify who we are, become pure beings of a sort. Um, but it's not actually, not actually the way that I think is meant to be understood. And I think for a really, really important reason, which is that cells are created moment by moment through identification with our attachments and aversions. It's not that a self has attachment and aversion uh, and then could somehow become free of them, but actually in our, in our identification with the moment of attachment, when I want this and cling to it, or when I feel aversion to that and try to push it away in my mind, the sense of self is constituted by that very act of identification. So the experience of the self and attachment aversion are two sides of the same coin. So our goal can't be an experience of the self that's somehow free of them. Self is created by this. So when we work with attachment aversion on the cushion, we're actually working with the building blocks of what creates the illusion that we have this small self. Now that's really abstract, though I think uh, many of you are, are following me completely, but it's, it's, it, that's pitched at a pretty abstract level. I think a much more um, sort of practically useful way of framing that same point for when we're on the cushion is inviting you to notice when you feel attachment or aversion, especially when you feel caught up by attachment. You don't just, you're not just seeing it, but you're like, you're, feel, you're, you're feeling aversive. You're feeling attached, right? Notice as it were, what happens to the quality of your consciousness. And my guess is that you'll feel it shrink. There'll be a, a smaller quality to your sense of being than when you can just see the attachment or aversion, notice them, even notice the pull they might have, but you aren't actually caught by them. And when you can see it from that perspective, there's a bigger quality to your awareness that can hold that experience. You can see the constituents of the self trying to congeal, as it were, into something solid, but you aren't seeing the world from the point of view of that smallness. So um, this experience of feeling your consciousness or awareness or even just sense of self get smaller and soften and get wider as we practice becomes a really, I think, useful way of sensing how we are caught up in our attachment aversion and what it does to us. And when you start to see how you get smaller, you identify with a smaller sense of yourself, it starts to deepen your motivation to actually work with this stuff more rigorously. Because then you also start to see when I'm interacting with other people, when I'm coming for that small place, I'm much more reactive.
right? I end up snapping or saying things I end up regretting because I was trying to please them or whatever it may be. Um, and so, and when you feel bigger, more open, softer, it's easier to interact with people in a non-reactive, open way, a way that's often more characterized by compassion and generosity. So um, what, I, what I'd like us to do now is just to sit a little bit longer, follow the breath, same thing we're doing. But then as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, just notice when you see a moment of aversion, see a moment of attachment or liking and disliking. And instead of just seeing the thought, notice also the quality of your awareness as a whole and feel it dilate and constrict. Um, it's a kind of subtle quality that the, the way the consciousness will shift as we become small, and as we identify more with this bigger self. And all practice is really ultimately about more and more residing in, becoming comfortable with, and ultimately realizing who we really are is that big self that can see the ways that the small ego may be trying to assert itself but that we are so much more than that. Um, and this particular wrinkle in practice is one of the most important things to work on when we try to get free of the grip of that small cell. Um, so, okay, uh, any questions? I mean, no, that's kind of abstract, but any questions at this point? Let's try it, okay? So um, just uh, please reassume a meditation posture and follow the breath just as we were earlier, the breath as a rhythmic flowing energy. Open yourself up to the sounds around you. as you continue following your breath. And the instructions are simple. As you use the breath and sounds around you as the anchor to return to, notice when moments of attachment, aversion, liking, disliking emerge Take note of their content. And also take note of the ways in which your awareness or consciousness as a whole shrinks when you get caught up in those mental states and what it feels like when you can just note them, observe them without getting caught up and return to the anchor of breath and sound.
For any of you who are experiencing constriction or tension in the breath, see if you can experience a difference between fighting that tension, wanting it to go away, and how tight that makes your whole being feel. The difference between that and just letting the tension be there, letting tension float in a bigger awareness. So you can actually feel constriction and yet yet not be constricted. Notice how moments of expectation, how you think this practice should feel like or go, constrict your consciousness. Or how judgments about how you're doing right now, how that constricts your consciousness. And then by just noticing that, can you reaccess a broader, wider perspective? the space of awareness.
So I'm going to open up the floor for uh, people who want to say anything, but even if we're not continuing to sit in a meditative posture, see if you can keep part of your awareness on the breath um, as, as we listen and talk. Um, because ideally we want to keep this for, you know, into daily life. So I um, just want to open the floor for anyone who would like to say or ask anything, share how something felt or anything at all. One thing that, that I was noticing is that, that when my mind wanders uh, uh, during meditation, most of the time it's, it's into pretty emotionally neutral uh, topics. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be the kind of charged things that you were talking about in terms of aversion and, and uh, attachment. Um, and I, I don't know. <laughs> What I, I, I guess I'm just trying to observe those and going back to the breath, but I, mm -hmm. I wasn't getting the kind of um, um, uh, uh, emotionally charged uh, uh, mind takeovers that, that I, I often do during the day. Mm -hmm. I, um, thanks, John. And I think, um, uh, I don't think attachment aversion necessarily are correlated with emotional intensity. You know, I think, I think actually um, one of the things that most people are attached to is just very minor distractions, you know? Um, so, you know, we just, we just want to be a little bit elsewhere. Um, and so the attachment is to just not being here um, or the aversion may just be to the presence and whatever, maybe even the, the slight sense of instability that residing in the flowing present feels like. So very, very not charged, a very subtle, and yet enough to completely keep us out of the present moment, right? Um, so um, I just wanna make sure that you, it, I did not mean to imply that it was always gonna be emotionally intense. In fact, I agree most of the time for me, it's just like wandering into fantasy or this or that, but those are nonetheless also, you know, forms of our minds getting stuck on certain things like, you know, so, um, yeah. So anyway, just uh, that's, yeah. Hi, Jim. Yeah. Hi, Bernie. Um, I really liked your instruction around um, experiencing the tension um, as if it was floating in a larger awareness. Because what I find, I think when I feel aversion, I just um, had an insight tonight that uh, is when I feel like the tension sort of eclipses everything. And I think I feel aversion or I have a reaction to that because I feel like it, it's it's robbing me of some experience. So I, I judge it, but when I put it in, in the uh, context of a larger awareness, I don't, I don't judge it as much. And uh, I don't know, there's a sense more that it belongs and it's fine and it's part of everything. So uh, yeah, I just appreciated that instruction. Thanks, Jim.
appreciated. Um, oh, hold, hold on a second, Louisa. Sorry. Yeah. I really appreciated the um, whole catastrophe living passage. And I think the language of ebb and flow and the shape of the breath mm -hmm. and really thinking about the three dimensionality of it. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a way in which the language of following mm -hmm. can feel very linear to mm -hmm. me and imagining the breath coming like in and then through my nose and down to my belly and then out and I get very much caught in this track versus thinking about the waves and the shape makes me experience it um, kind of at all of my edges and on a very cellular level where it's almost like my skin and my boundaries become more porous and there's like a shimmeriness and a lightness and then I think about sound and how that's like waves as well and there's something just kind of a softness to thinking about the shape and the flow also really nice feeling the breeze and the actual like um air that feels like it's moving with my breath yeah Thanks, Louisa. Maybe during this brief pause, I'll just, I want to um, piggyback onto something that Jim said, you know, this staying with in his open way. I mean, I think one of the things that I'll get to, I've talked about before, but we'll circle back to you in light of recent classes is, you know, when, when we notice moments of aversion or attachment um, or, or and the, the, noticing the thought is just the beginning. Often what we're left once we notice the thought is actually the feeling of it in the body, which is usually of some kind of tension or, or constriction of some kind. And um, that, Working with that is simply just finding a way to be with it in this soft way. And it can sometimes soften quickly, but sometimes it just hangs out for a long time. And I think, um, and it takes a lot of patience and, and, and um, perseverance sometimes to just be with it in the soft way, not perseverance as an er, but to, to actually be soft and not give in to opposition as if somehow our body is doing it to us when like, who is actually tense, but us, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's an interesting thing. Like we say, God damn it, why don't you go away? But wait, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> um, but I guess it shows that we've cut off a part of ourselves, right? Cause we don't actually recognize it as ourselves often. Yeah. As if it's intrusive, yeah. One, one line from the loving kindness meditation, which I sometimes use when I'm finding it very hard to do what Jim said, because it's, it's easier said than done, actually, um, is uh, a line that I sometimes use, but not in every version of loving kindness is, may I dwell in the open heart. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll just say that one lines 
periodically to myself as a reminder that what I'm, what I'm aiming for is just to be open with whatever my experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, as soon as I say that to myself, it's almost like it's a foil against which I can start to see the ways in which I'm continuing to strive, strive to get rid of the tension, to get over some experience. And it's just a gentle reminder saying, no, just, just may, may I just dwell in the open heart. May I be open and loving with myself exactly as I am. Yeah. So if you find it hard, sometimes that might be a, a phrase worth just saying to yourself. Um, Can we sit for a minute or two before we say goodnight? All right. Thank you, everyone. All right. Good night, everyone. Wonderful to sit with you.